This is the Meet Me at the Spot podcast, where we meet at the intersections of sexual health and the world around us. Each week, we will discuss sexual health current events, politics, social justice issues, and more. Get excited because it is time to start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Meet Me at the Spot. I'm your host, Holly, and I want to start off this week's episode by saying Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. Hopefully, you were able to find some rest and relaxation and ways to get reset as we begin the crazy year that is about to be 2024. We have a big election coming up in November. We have reproductive health and justice ballot measures uh, that we need to be paying attention to that I will keep you informed on as they uh, become known to me so that you can get involved in any way uh, that you are able to. As we get ready to kick off the new year, I'm so excited for this week's episode and my interview with Shannon. Shannon is amazing and she has just been such a fun person to follow on social media. Um, She posts such great stuff. And I had such an incredible conversation with her and learning about harm reduction and how it applies to, uh, in her work, to substance use. And harm reduction also applies to the work that I do in sexual health. Um, And so there's a lot of overlap between reproductive justice uh, and substance use. I really felt that this conversation was important for all of us to remember that there are many intersecting social justice issues, as I've talked about before, Uh, but this seemed like a really good way to show how uh, these two areas intersect. So before we jump in, I just wanted to make a quick note that in this part of the interview, Shannon does mention a resource called FairShake. Uh, She mentions the website fairshake.org, but the actual website is fairshake.net. Fairshake.org is another incredible website with different resources, but the one that was referenced is fairshake.net, and I will make sure to include that in the show notes. So without further ado, let's start the conversation. Welcome, Shannon, to the podcast. It's so awesome to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I know a little bit about you because I've been following you for a while, which out of context sounds real creepy, but um, I've been following you on social media for a while. So I know a little bit about you, but for the listeners, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Shannon Belton. I'm a certified drug and alcohol counselor. I've worked in substance use treatment for about the last 10 years harm reduction, education, healthcare, intersectionality between healthcare and mental health are things I'm very passionate about. Um, In my journey, somehow, I ended up starting a clothing store on Etsy. I sell healthcare-related merchandise and things that really start a conversation around mental health and substance use, harm reduction activities, and how to really make conversations. I try to do that by making clothes that are 
um, a little jarring, pink, hot pink, bright rainbows, unicorns, and with messaging that doesn't seem to match, which catches people off guard and is a good opportunity to start a conversation. Yeah, I absolutely adore um, your products that you develop uh, because they are a little to me like snarky but in a good way like that's yeah. a con- um and i love that uh for public health uh especially um and you have to tell everybody what your etsy shop and your 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 business is i'm the public health barbie on the internet which is a little <laughs> yeah. cringy now in hindsight but it, it was funny to me two years ago and it just took off so i'll wear no. that with pride and be everyone's public health bestie Yes, no, I absolutely love that. Um, that's why I was like, you got to say the name for everybody. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, it's such a it's such a great name, and it's so 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 great um, because a lot of uh, you know what you focus on and what you talk about is very stigmatized, uh, especially in our country. Uh, so to put out you know content and to put out products. Um, you know, really in support of substance use and mental health is so important and it's huge. It's really, really huge. And I think where my my community and your community overlaps is is access to healthcare, right? And especially with sexual reproductive health, um, sex work legislation, I think that is so important. And, you know, being a drug and alcohol counselor, you encounter a lot of women that engage in sex work and have been treated very poorly because of it. And I think we do a really poor job of protecting those people. And I think we need to have conversations and it's not a moral failing. It's people surviving and people don't want to hear that. Yeah. People don't want to admit that sex work is work and that no. re- regardless of what work you do, you have the right to be respected as a human being. Um, so I, th- I mean, that's just always been my stance. And I'm like, listen, if sex work is something you do to survive, it's no different than what I do. I go to a job to survive. I don't go to a job because I want to work. I want to stay at home all day and be in my comfy pajamas. I don't want to work. Like I love what I do, but I also, <laughs> so if you're working to survive, every, all of us are working to survive. We all are. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and we own the rights to our labor, right? Just like someone who wants to work construction and beat up their body and, and do what they have to do to support their family. It's no different. And I think I can empathize with people to some extent that feel that way. It's like, we want to live in a society where women don't have the only option to sell their body, right? We want people to engage. I think survival sex work and commercial sex work are very different. And um, survival sex work is what we see in my industry, unfortunately. And yes, of course, we would love a world where women didn't have to do that. If they chose to do that, that's fine. But um I wish that we lived in a different society, but it's not nothing, right? And there are hazards and there are dangers and it all comes back to harm reduction is women, you know, are going to choose to do this because that's their option. And we should, as a society and as a people work to keep them safe. Absolutely. So you talked about a couple um, terms that I want to make sure all of our listeners are on board with. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between um, like survival sex and commercial sex? Uh, survival sex work is when someone has no other option, right? When the only thing that they can do to feed themselves, clothe themselves, take care of their children and their family, access medication is to 
by it's not their first choice, right? It's something that they are doing out of desperation. And, and that exists, unfortunately, a lot with the population I work with. And commercial sex work will be something different. You know, women that engage, women and men, people of all genders that engage in sex work, um, only fans, online, commercial sex, pornography, um, certain jurisdictions working in, in brothels or other organizations that are um, a little more sanctioned. Obviously, people that work independently as well. Um, and there's a spectrum, right? Some of the people that are going to participate in OnlyFans are engaging in survival sex work. And it's a, it's a gray area for sure. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good um, thing for folks to know that there are some differences. And um, just so for for folks who know uh, or may be familiar with some very outdated terminology around prostitution, like that's a term we don't use anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely dated. And when I hear it, I cringe a little bit, but I know some people don't know better. But yes, uh, yes. It's very stigmatized, um, especially in the criminal justice system. We still have prostitution courts in my my county, and it's great that they have a, a program that's specifically for people with those issues, but they call it the prostitution court, which is pretty uh, disheartening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is it is a word, like you said, that people still use. Um and if you're listening to this podcast, you are now educated that prostitution, take it out of your vocabulary, sex worker is an appropriate term to use. <laughs> it's not you. I just think <laughs> there's so much irony that there is like commercial pornography that I would say 99% of the population access and it's perfectly legal to record yourself having sex with someone else uh, for commercial means. But if you were to just have sex with someone else without a camera present, you're committing a crime. And I just think that's, very hypocritical of our of our jurisdictions and our, our criminal justice system to choose to still enforce those types of laws. Yeah, when you put it like that, wow! Like I've never heard it framed that way, um, and I think that's so fascinating to think about. And you know, um, something you talked about earlier was intersectionality, which I've talked about on this podcast a lot. That these these things are not by accident, right? And thinking Never. about the, the kinds of people, the demographics of people who engage in um, survival sex versus commercial sex, right? And um, and how they're being impacted when it comes to like the legal system, right? Is yeah, there was there was one case I read about, and it was in the I want to say the seventies. I was researching a, a senator from California, my hometown, um, in the Central Valley, and he had bought all the pretty much profiteered these prisons in his jurisdiction, and he seemed like a decent human being. Otherwise, from what I read, but um, in his past, he was caught, um, you know, with a sex worker as a young man, as he should, you know, all for it if that's what you want to do. Um, and she went to jail and he didn't. And the irony was it was a jail that he had put in his jurisdiction and he was a, you know, he was a public figure. So he wasn't charged with anything. And he made his apology and went on his way and had a 35 year career in, in public service. But it's like the woman is being punished and the man wasn't in this case. And it's the man that literally placed that jail in that jurisdiction. That is a wild story. <laughs> That is, that, that is, wow. There's so many layers to that. And then also thinking like, there's so many people who are like, well, you know, 
then sex workers should just get a job. Or even when we talk about people who use substances, um, you know, they, they need to just get a better, they need to get a better job. They need to do this. But if we keep criminalizing it and then we also restrict employment based on criminal records, how, how do you want people to do that? Right. So it's like, a definitely it's been like a bad faith argument discussion always. And I think there's, there's some other elements and I know that there has been some shifts in like um, fast food work to change how people are even just paid. Um, some companies offer people to be paid daily because some people truly cannot wait two weeks to have a paycheck. And for a period of time, I was the director of a men's halfway house and we worked with a lot of reentry and reintegration. And part of that was getting them their birth certificates and their social security cards, photo IDs and vital documents that you need to be able to have a job. And we used that first 30 days to kind of get these people whole again with the, with the documents that they need to get a job. But if you don't have support of that, you don't know how to navigate that system, you're not going to be able to get a job and you're, you know, you're going to violate your probation or your parole and you're not going to be successful unless you have a family member or a friend or someone who's willing to take a chance on you without papers. And that's really difficult. And we're asking a lot of people that don't have a lot of structure and a lot of support. Yeah. And I always think about, you know, people who are, have served a long time um, in, in the incarceration system. And then upon release, like they started their time in prison or jail before like the internet and like modern cell phones. And they come out and you can't, you can't just go get a paper application somewhere. You right. have online. And so if you're not connected to these services, like you said, in these systems that exist, then you, you know, you put yourself in a potential, you know, uh, parole violation and things like that simply because you just don't have the skills. Um, it's wild to me. Like it, there's an, there's an organization called fair shake. Um, they have, I think it's fairshake.org and it is a repository of just resources for people getting out of corrections. Um, uh, you know, it, and they do teach computer literacy, computer classes, and they do a lot of work on the inside as well. Um, but there are resources available, but it's so de- you know demoralizing when you're finally ready to, to live a different life and you go in for a job and like, oh, go apply online. Your option is to say, I don't know how to do that. And you, maybe you're disqualifying yourself or you're, you get honest and say, you know, I just got out of prison and I, I don't have those skills yet, but I'm willing to learn. Maybe that's going to discriminate against you. Yeah, the layers are just, they're intense. And, you know, as much as I think a lot of people want to believe in the systems, there's still, there's so much work to be done um, because the systems are just a whole mess. All of them, all of the systems, every single one of them. I've talked to people in the education, in healthcare, in all sorts of systems, and they're all just messy. Real poverty is a business. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, people always ask the question of like, well, why did this come to be? Or why did this happen? It's like, because these systems were built on white supremacy. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, friend. Like, (laughs) they, they make money. If you're ever wondering, like, why something happens and it doesn't make sense to you, why it continues to happen, look at who's profiting from it. Follow the dollar. Yeah. Right. And so it's, Oh, um, but even yes. even like check, <laughs> yeah check cashing businesses and um payday loads and things that 
if you're a person that has financial stability, maybe you're not familiar with, but those are institutions for people that can't get a bank account. Those are, you know, and they're charging a huge fee and a, a huge portion. Um, we, in the halfway house, we dealt with a lot of guys that didn't have a bank account and we worked at the second chance bank, but some of them had already burned the second chance bank and didn't have a third chance. And yeah. they would have to go pay $8 to get their cash, their check cashed or um, go buy a Amex or a Visa gift card with a $10 fee on it. And, and these guys aren't making enough money to sustain themselves, let alone pay you know these superfluous fees to places like American Express. Right. Financial literacy is a skill. And a lot of us are not bestowed with that. And I would venture to say that some people, maybe they, they don't want the general public to be financially literate. They don't want the general public to be a lot of things um, <laughs> because then they can't take advantage of us. Um, Definitely. And the financial literacy is a huge one because it's one that like, you know, back not that long ago, but a, a while ago when I was in high school, like we never talked about this stuff. We no. didn't learn this. And I didn't go to college for like accounting or, or anything like that. And so, you know, thankfully for me, I had parents who, um, you know, taught me how to budget and stuff. Uh, but not everybody has that because not everybody learned that, you know, generation to generation kind of thing. Sure. So, you know, people are at a disadvantage from the jump. And then when more disadvantaging situations happen, you know, it, it's hard to climb out of it. It's really hard to climb out of it. There's a curriculum called Bridges Out of Poverty, and it it was like an eight week course that we took, and it talks a lot about what you're just saying of like this these skills are not inherited and they're not passed down, and so for people, how do we teach them how to come out of poverty? And it's it's a very comprehensive book, and it's it's very fascinating. But part of it is one is understanding what the system is that they're living in, and that they are one crisis away from from being destitute, right? And most of us have some of somewhat of a safety network, even if it's not a checking account, maybe a friend or a family member we could stay with. But a lot of people don't have that. And when we talk about privilege, and we talk a lot about white privilege, but just the privilege of safety and security is something that a lot of people take for granted of, you know, not feeling stranded or not, you know, what it feels like not to have a place for your clothes or, you know, a place to go to sleep at night. And we're, I think we're all very fortunate to have the lives that we do but there is so much work that needs to be done and so many people that have been left behind. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think that's why I have a huge appreciation for the work that you do um, because you're doing that work, right? And it's not easy work <laughs> at all. Um, I, will, I will venture to say that any work you do in public health is not easy work, um, but definitely dealing with and, and discussing topics and, and um, that are so stigmatized and um, that, that society as a whole likes to dehumanize. Um, Definitely. It's crappy. It's so I think in our society, we love an underdog, but we don't love people when they're struggling and it's just a very double-edged sword. And, you know, especially with drug and alcohol recovery, um, people love people in recovery. They love telling stories about people that got clean and these redemption stories, but when people are in it, no one wants to help. And it's, it's very sad to see how many people get left behind. Um, I currently work in corrections and we see a lot of people that have never had a chance and people that have never been to drug and alcohol treatment, despite having years long history. And the unfortunate truth is that some people get to go to rehab and some people get to go to jail. Mm. Yeah, that's a huge, 
um, statement that I, I, you know, we talk a lot about these privileges that people have and the access that people have. And privilege is not a dirty word. It's not a bad word. It doesn't mean you didn't work hard or anything like that. Right. But, you know, we all have some level of privilege in a different way. Um, and, and thinking about that when we are first so quick to almost dehumanize somebody, like right. we're not all that different. And, you know, we are all one bad situation from potentially being um, homeless, from needing to uh, do things in order to survive, to keep our family safe. So, you know, we're not all that different uh, in the long run at the end of the day when we really break down and think about it. There was a saying that I saw and it was like, you have more in common with an unhoused person than you do with a billionaire. And it's like, you are closer to being homeless than you are to being rich. Always. Yep. Always. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about. And that in itself is a privilege to not have to think about that. Right. Like, right. Obviously, you know, there's going to be a part two. There's always a part two with all of my interviews. Uh, I had so much fun learning from Shannon. So check out next week's episode uh, and we'll dive a little bit more into these conversations and learn a little bit more about Shannon. All the various ways to support this show are in the show notes as always. I appreciate everything that you all do in any way that you show support. If you are wanting to be a guest, please reach out to me on social media or send me an email. All of that information is in the show notes as well. Until next week, bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, meet me at the spot podcast. Do you love the show and want to support the podcast? Well, check out the show notes for all the ways to support the work I do. All links related to today's episode can also be found in the show notes. Help others find this podcast by following me and leaving a review and also spread the word on social media. See you next week when we meet at the spot.